Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. When we begin to look at what God has for us, when is it that we stop the work that God has for us? Do we ever stop? We get this retirement thing in our minds, don't we? How's my 501c3 doing? You know? Not 501c3, what is it? IRS? That's how much I think about it, right? <laughs> We're a 501c3. Our IRS, whatever. <laughs> wow, wow, rewind on this, rewind. <laughs> thank you. Who said that? Right, see, I knew somebody would know what it is, right? 401k, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. How's it doing? We look at the Dow, we look at NASDAQ, we look at all these things, we look at all these matrixes and all this kind of stuff. Do I have enough? What's going to happen to Social Security? And obviously, folks, I'm not saying we don't plan, and I'm not saying we aren't astute uh, in following the Lord, in being disciplined, etc. That's not the point. The point is, is when do we stop the work that God has for us in this lifetime? When do we draw this line and say, I'm done? Does that ever happen? I don't think so. I think what's amazing to watch with the Israelites is how, from a big picture perspective, and we're taking a 30,000-foot view on this, right? Because we're going to cover the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, and halfway today, okay? So if you're reading chronologically through the Bible, I guarantee you I'm catching you at a really fast pace, okay? (laughs) Because some of you, I think, are already through Deuteronomy and into Chronicles and everything else. Amen. I'll catch you. Probably three weeks from now. The point is, when we begin to look at this, here's what's fascinating to watch. The children of Israel get called out of Israel, excuse me, Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They go to Mount Sinai. They're given the Ten Commandments. And they spend a year in the desert. A year. Now, that may sound like a long time, but I can guarantee you, if you were eating manna every day, and if you're wondering where you're going and why you haven't gotten there, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, there's this moment, move, let's go. But the pillar of cloud and the fire haven't moved yet. We're looking at uh, just kind of this timeline of where we're at in this whole series. We're about to get into Joshua We're kind of at the end of Moses, if you want to think of it that way. Okay, that's kind of where we are. And we've got some pretty cool, I think we found some stuff that helped track this sermon in particular because a lot, a lot of detail. If I leave out one of your favorite parts, I'm sorry. It's probably a favorite part of mine too, and it really cringed that I only got 40 minutes to preach. But, you know, that's the way it is. Four things this morning, and as we look at this, I want you to think of it again from a 30,000-foot view, and I also want you to think of it as Israel is a picture of your life. Israel is a picture of your life. This nation and all the things that God does in their lives and all the things that God's doing and the way they rebel and the way they have a hard time trusting and the way that they've got to be disciplined and all the things that they're to be about, how they're to follow God, how they're to walk, how they're to do a work that God's called them to in going into the land of Canaan to take out the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Parasites, right? All the people. 
All right, I was waiting to see if you were awake or not, you know. (laughs) The Lord prepares worshipers to walk by faith in order to accomplish his purpose. I don't know about you, but sometimes it, it just seems like nothing's happening. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Sometimes it's like we're just going through the motions. We're going through all this stuff, and it feels like the duck that I saw while fishing with PT uh, at Fenton Lake on Friday. And by the way, I I skunked PT, which is saying something, because I had four fish, and he only had three. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. But what does a duck do? It's like, it looks like it's not even moving, but underneath the water, boy, it's paddling, 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 Right? And when you, when you begin to watch that and you begin to see that, sometimes life, it feels like we're not really going very fast. It's like, where's it going? We can take it from our own personal lives. We can take it into our family. We can take it into our church family. We wonder, what, Lord, what are you doing? Why aren't these things happening? What is it that you've called us to? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to do this? We need this. We need that. We want this. And all of a sudden, we start getting our eyes completely off of the Lord And we forget that what God's primarily called us to, initially called us to, is to himself. They spent a year in the desert preparing to go. And and in the midst of all of that, they, they were given the Levitical system. They were given the Ten Commandments. They were reminded to keep the feasts. They were given the tabernacle. They they were given all these things. Why? Because before they were to go and do the work that God had called them to, God was preparing their hearts to deal with their sin, to deal with their own lives, to deal with their relationship with him. Because they were called, first and foremost, to be worshipers of God, to walk by faith, the persuasion that God can do this. Four things, the promise, the preparation, the path, and the penalty. There's a promise given here, and it's fascinating because it's given at the very beginning, and it's actually given way before what we're even looking at right now in terms of Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and following, and this is neat. The Lord is speaking to them about something. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He's come down on the mountain. They've heard him speak. They're so fearful, they don't even want to deal with this anymore. They say, Moses, you, you go deal with this. He says, behold, I'm going to send an angel before you. This is the Lord telling them this, to guard you along the way, to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Is there any doubt in this? I am going to do this. Be on your guard before him, obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites. And I will do what? What does he promise? There's no wishy-washiness in this. There's no maybe. There's no potential. It's I will do this. There's a promise. They had these promises. They had experienced God in ways, folks, that's really, really amazing. All of the plagues being rescued out of Egypt, being taken through the Red Sea, watching Pharaoh's army destroyed, hearing God from the mountain. Absolutely remarkable. 
Well, they had even more than that, folks. They had the Word of God. All the experience is great, but they had the Word of God. Back in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 2, Abraham has promised something. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Or in Genesis chapter 15, it's actually uh, told to Abram that this is what was going to happen with his people. In verse 13 of Genesis 15, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, which is Egypt, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Did this happen? Yeah, it did. In Genesis 17, verse 8, we learn that this land is Canaan. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Is there any room for doubt in these statements? No. God had said it. God said this is what was going to happen, and it was going to happen. Fascinating. They had been given a promise, even before they started out on their journey. But in the midst of that, they had to be prepared. And I would suggest it's like our lives. We're given a promise that is Christ in us. We're given a promise that is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're given a promise which is Christ in us. Our hope and our assurance, his very presence in us through the Holy Spirit, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're given a work too, which is to make disciples. And we understand that it is Christ in and through us as he transforms us as we yield to him, who then through us begins to accomplish the work that only he can do. Our hearts need to be prepared as well. Because the question is, how are we doing in our walk with the Lord? How are we yielding to him? Are we allowing sin to grieve the Holy Spirit? Or are we learning to confess? Are we repenting in the sense that we are changing our mind? That that wasn't the right way, Lord. You are correct in what you have said. I confess and want to be cleansed. Are we walking with the Lord day by day? so that God in and through us begins to be revealed by love. In chapters 19 through 24 of Exodus, we're given the Ten Commandments, and we're given the regulations of community and worship, including the Sabbath day and the feasts. The 70 elders with Moses and Joshua go up on the mountain, and they actually see the glory of the Lord. It's remarkable stories of how they got to experience God. In chapters 25, they take up an offering. The Lord's telling them, you're going to make a tabernacle. And they take up an offering from the sons of Israel, and it's a heart offering. All the materials that are needed, from the spices to the gold to the cloth, everything that they had brought with them out of Egypt. In effect, they had ransacked Egypt. Remember on the last day, they said, hey, you're going you're gonna to take this Passover, you're going to be ready to go, and you're going to talk to your neighbors, and, and you're going to get from them everything they, they've got. 
And so all the wealth of Egypt that Joseph had been used by the Lord in order to accumulate because of the famine that had taken place that was at that time a worldwide famine, all that wealth is now being transferred over to Israel as they head on out. Now there's an offering and much of that wealth is being brought to the Lord in order to build, to create, to make this tabernacle. The tabernacle as well as the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim, the Ark of Testimony as it's called, where the mercy seat, where the blood would be sprinkled on it for forgiveness of sin, the table of showbread where the bread is placed on it indicating the word of God, or the golden lampstand which is the light of the world. It was never to go out. The curtain dividing the Holy of Holies from the holy place where the high priest was able to enter in. The bronze altar where the sacrifices were to take place. The garments for the priests. Aaron is placed as high priest. His sons are priests with him. They're given the incense to use along with all the utensils necessary for the priests to carry out their service to the Lord. I mean, from the shovels to everything. It's incredible. God even places his spirit on certain individuals and he names them. He says, oh, I'm going to give this guy the ability to help create this. And so this guy suddenly, oh, and so God takes something that was actually in the heavens and he helps them form a copy of it here. The temple, later on we're going to see this, is more of a permanent place which the tabernacle represented. This is all about worship. It's all about how to worship the Lord. It's all about how to deal with sin. It's all about how to to follow God. And all of it points to Christ. Because we know that in Hebrews, it's very clear that the blood of bulls and the blood of lambs were temporary. Because it's the blood of the lamb, Christ himself, that is once for all. Well, in the midst of all this, they're given all these directions, and (laughs) folks, our flesh is so much like this, isn't it? And I'm, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers here. We're all this way. Moses goes up on the mountain in order to be given the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. God uses his finger and writes the Ten Commandments on two tablets, both sides of the tablets. And while up there for 40 days, what happens? I love Aaron's excuse. I just threw gold into the fire and out popped this golden calf. <laughs> like, wow, that's a, that's, that's a good one, Aaron. Hadn't heard that one before. Holy <laughs> dang, can you imagine Moses' face? Seriously, bro? <laughs> Unbelievable. The people begin to worship a golden calf. Here's the God that rescued you out of Egypt. And God tells Moses, you better go down. They're rebelling against me already, and the Lord wants to destroy them. Moses says, no, no, Lord, everybody will hear about it. Your name is linked with these people, and the promises that you've made, you can't destroy them. Well, what happens? He gets down, and he throws the tablets down. He takes the golden calf, grinds it up, literally puts it into the water. They drink it. It's unbelievable. Exodus 32, verses 26 and following, but verse 26 in particular says, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. All these people, pagan idolatry. 
And folks, if you don't think Christians can involve themselves in pagan idolatry, go read 1 Corinthians. He warns them of this very thing. He warns believers of this very thing. Don't fall into this. Look at how they didn't walk by faith and look at how they got sucked into idolatry. 1 John tells us at the very end, little children, guard yourselves from idols. You say, well, I don't worship a golden calf. Well, we worship all kinds of stuff, don't we? We worship comfort. We worship our safety. We worship our time as if it's ours. We worship all kinds of stuff. We may not have a golden calf sitting in the, in the you know, kitchen, but we got all kinds of idols that we, we deal with. Exodus thirty two twenty six. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to, together to him. And what happens? He says, arm yourselves and go kill them. Wow. Praise God we're under grace. Amen? And they do. They kill about 3,000 men. And as a result of their willingness to serve the Lord, they are appointed as priests. Their tribe is appointed as servants to the Lord. In Exodus 33, the Lord reveals his glory to Moses. And in Exodus 34, he replaces the stone tablets and he repeats the promises to destroy Israel's enemies and place them in the land he had promised. He reiterates the need for them to do as he's commanded them, to to follow the feasts, the Passover feasts. One of the fascinating things, and Moses' face would shine because the Lord would come down on the tent of meeting and Moses would go in and speak to him face to face and, and he would come out and his face would be shining. But Paul tells us that Moses placed a veil on his face, not because his face was so bright that nobody could look at him, but rather because Moses didn't want everybody to see that the shining, the glory of God which was upon him was fading It was diminishing. In other words, when he wasn't in the tent of meeting, speaking to the Lord face to face, and he would come out, his his face would be radiant, but then it would begin to stop glowing. And Paul says, as believers, we have the unfading glory of God upon us. Oh, man. That's a sermon in and of itself. The Israelites... Finish the work of the tabernacle, all the elements of it. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and following, they get done, this tabernacle, they do all the utensils, they they build everything the Lord's told them to do. It says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Can you imagine? Yeah, they had organized themselves, and we'll see this in Numbers, where they had tribe by tribe, and the, the tent of meaning, the tabernacle, was right in the center, and the Levites were around it. And they could see this. And if the cloud began to lift and move, they knew, time to pack up, let's go. If it stayed there, they stayed. If they saw the pillar of fire begin to move, what did they do? They got up and began to move. Folks, God is teaching them to walk by faith, to trust him. 
He's provided manna for them. He's provided all kinds of things for them. He's provided water for them in the middle of the desert. Now he's teaching them how to worship. Now he's teaching them, you got a sin problem. You got to deal with this sin. We got harsh heart issues here. And before you start doing my work, you better make sure that you're rightly related to me first. The Lord leads us. I can't stress that enough. We say uh, Christ-led, elder-guarded, pastor-guided, body-engaged. Why? Because the Lord's the shepherd. The Lord's the shepherd. When we make decisions, it, it isn't out of our own will. And I say we, I mean anybody. I don't care if we're talking about councils. I don't care if we're talking about K-group leaders. I don't care if we're talking about deacons, pastors, elders. It doesn't matter. First and foremost question we ought to be asking is, what is God saying here? Because that's the issue. How's the Lord leading us? And what does God want to do? And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, folks, it's not from God. That's, That's pretty simple, isn't it? But we wrestle with that. Not only do we wrestle with what God is saying, but we wrestle with the timing of it. Because so often, and I know in my own life, this is so true. Man, I want to get into that Lamborghini. Don't you? I mean, I really do. Say, Lord, I see that problem. Let's fix that thing. And the Lord's going, what? Wait, wait, wait. I don't want to get in the Yugo. <laughs> I don't want to get behind God either. Do you? I'm not saying I want a Chevy, but I'm saying somewhere in the middle. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Follow God. Walk with him step by step, moment by moment, trusting him. Why? Because God is always seeking to prepare worshipers, those who are simply willing to say, Lord, you're the Lord. We trust you because God wants us to walk by faith in order to accomplish his purpose, whatever that purpose may be. Make disciples, love your, love your neighbor, and whether it's love one another, it doesn't matter what it is. It's God's purpose, and therefore it takes God in us in order to accomplish it. But we've got to be rightly related to him. We've got to have our hearts yielded to him. If our hearts aren't yielded to him, forget about the work. We're already lost. We're already messed up. We may have the best motives in mind, but if we're not rightly related with the Lord, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. People now begin to prepare. All this uh, emphasis on worship and being rightly related to the Lord and one another for that matter. Now the people begin to prepare to work for the Lord. He's got a purpose for them. They count all the warriors per tribe. In Numbers chapter 1, by the way, I did skip over Leviticus. <laughs> I'll tell you, I can, can I just tell you this one thing? Leviticus is the word of God and not one jot or tittle will pass from the word of God. But I am deeply grateful we are under grace. Amen? I really am. Enough said. It gives all the details of the law and the worship and the service of the Levites to the Lord. And it really is phenomenal when you look at the detail of it. God is a holy God. Sometimes we're... we're we, We treat him as if he's our best buddy. And we forget he's our Lord. Let the Lord call us friends. 
be very careful to put yourself in that position. I am a friend of God. Well, let the Lord say that. Let the Lord say that. Numbers chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, all the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their father's households from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war in Israel, even all the numbered men were 603,550. That's a pretty sizable force, isn't it? That's a lot of people, a lot of men. They did not even include the Levites in this because the Levites were to serve the Lord. In Numbers 9, they, they observe the Passover. It's been one year that they've been in the wilderness of Sinai. They've been at that mountain, and they've been sitting there waiting. They've been organized, not only from a social perspective, from a legal perspective, to a leadership perspective, to a worship perspective. They've been organized, and they are now prepared in order to move out in an organized fashion following God. So they observe the Passover. That must have been a sweet time of just remembrance. Oh, do you remember how God rescued us? In Numbers 10, 11, you can read that, but they immediately after the celebration recognize that the cloud has lifted and that they're to follow the Lord, so they break camp and they begin their journey towards the promised land. Oh, man, can you imagine? That must have been exciting. Remember what the kids were saying. What are we doing? We're leaving? That's cool. But once again, what happens? And lest we look down on them, how quick does it take from moment to moment for us to begin to complain? It doesn't take me long. I can get in the car and start getting behind somebody, and I could just have sung a wonderful song, and I'm immediately, I can't believe these people, you know? Where'd they get their driver's license? (laughs) They begin to complain. All we've eaten is manna. We need meat. Do you remember the pots of meat we had in Egypt? Holy smokes, they're always going back to Egypt. It's incredible. So the Lord sends them quail. Moses even doubted. Lord, do you know how many people we got here? You're going to feed them all meat? You're going to bring all these quail? He says, is there anything too hard for me? And they had quail so much they were stuffed. (laughs) Miriam and Aaron are even caught up in chapter 12 and complaining against Moses. (laughs) God affirms Moses' leadership. Miriam set outside the camp with leprosy for seven days, after which she's restored. Moses prays for her. Folks, they were constantly tripping. They were constantly stumbling. But they were learning to walk with the Lord. They were learning to walk by faith. Well, now they get to the edge of the land of Canaan. And remember, they had been promised this. They had been given this. This was their land. God said, I'm going to go before you. There's even a prediction by the Lord. I'm going to send hornets in, and I'm I'm going to totally disrupt all these people. I'm going to take them out. Later on, we find out the Lord says to him, it's not because of you that I'm giving you the land. You are, in effect, the tool that I'm using in order to bring judgment on the Canaanites and all the ites. And it's because I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's not because of you. Fascinating. 
In Numbers chapter 13, Moses appoints 12 spies to view the land and, and bring back a report. And they do. They bring back some of the produce of the land, grapes and pomegranates and figs. And the question was, well, what's this place like? What are the people like? What are the cities like? What, what, what are the, what's the agricultural system here? How, how does it look? And they go all over the place. They go over all the land. They go into the hill country. They even go down towards the Mediterranean Sea. And they come back, and they're carrying on their shoulders kind of a, a stick with all the grapes on it. I mean, this was a very uh, fertile land. And they agree. Yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But in Numbers 13, verses 28 and following, we get this secondary report, so to speak. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Jump down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are also, we saw the uh, Nephilim the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Caleb's the only one, Joshua and Caleb, in verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Wow. May his tribe increase. Amen? The problems are too big to overcome. The people are too large. They're too strong. The cities are too fortified. The territory is too vast. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. In Numbers 14, verses 8 through 10, we get Joshua and Caleb's response. It says, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. My goodness. So what do we got? We got these 12 guys coming back. Ten of them give a negative report. Ten of them interject fear. Ten of them clearly are not walking by faith. Ten of them clearly do not believe that God is able. Joshua and Caleb stand up and said, by all means, by all means. Moses pleads with the Lord because here's Joshua and Caleb about to get stoned. And the Lord comes down the cloud on the tabernacle. He intervenes. Moses pleads with the Lord not to destroy them, and he, and he doesn't. He chooses not to. He forgives. But what he tells them is you're going to now wander in the desert for 40 years. And the children that you thought were going to take, be taken captive, they're the ones that are going to come into this land and take this land. The only two are Joshua and Caleb. Numbers 14, 24, he says, But my servant Caleb, because he has 
had a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Or in verse 30, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. What was the people's response? We can't because, and fill in the blank. What was Joshua and Caleb's response? We can because the Lord. We can because of the Lord. Their hearts had been prepared to worship. They were willing to walk by faith. They knew that God could be trusted to do what he had said that he would do. And so they were willing to step out in faith because they recognized what God had for them to be about to do. Just as a side note, because we'll get into this a little bit next week, and the, the 40 years of wandering leading up until the time of um, Joshua and Jericho, Moses strikes the rock twice and as a result can't enter into the promised land. Miriam and Aaron both die and they can't enter into the promised land. Folks, I would suggest, and a lot of people, there's all kinds of discussion about this, the promised land so often is looked upon as heaven. I would suggest that the promised land was already theirs, that there was work to be done. And the reason they weren't entering into the promised land is not because they hadn't believed God from a foundational standpoint, but rather because they weren't walking by faith and willing to continue to grow in their faith. Because if the promised land is heaven, then Moses, Miriam, and Aaron didn't even enter. That doesn't even resonate. See, as believers, God has a work for us, and the question is, are we willing to trust him in it? God calls us to himself first and foremost, and he's constantly preparing us as worshipers to walk by faith in order to accomplish what he alone is able to accomplish. The question is, are we trusting him? Are we walking with him? Are we willing to recognize that no matter how large the problem may be, no matter how difficult the circumstance may be, that we can because the Lord, because the Lord. Apart from us, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And the question is, are our hearts yielded to the Lord? Are we walking with God in such a way that no matter what he calls us to, our heart cry, our worship, our walk of faith ultimately says, yes, Lord, you can, you can. Are our hearts being prepared with the Lord, by the Lord, to worship him, to trust him? And are we serving the Lord Service is activity. Service is what we do. But are we doing it in the power of the Lord? Do we know what God's called us to and are we willing to walk in it no matter how difficult it gets? Because we trust the Lord. Let me give you another takeaway. How much complaining do we do? Oh, man. That's hard, isn't it? (laughs) I remember one of my churches in North Georgia. We had this sign out front, you know, the church sign. And I've seen some amazing church signs in my, my time. My favorite is we walked, tiny little church in the middle of uh, 
the countryside of Tennessee, and we came around this corner. We were with the whole family. Jonathan and Holland were really little at that time. We came around this thing because we were looking for church signs because they're, they're just funny, some of them. And I don't remember what denomination it is. You can guess, but it said, Satan is a punk. <laughs> that was the church sign. Satan is a punk. I was like, wow. It's classic. So we had this discussion amongst ourselves, like, what should we put on the church sign? I said, let's put a verse. Verse. Put a verse. So we were preaching through Philippians and said, uh, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Right? But in all things rejoice. In all things give thanks. Well, out front of our church, it was a single uh, lane road, and it would back up for three miles. And we had one of the teachers from a local school who said she was sitting on, in that traffic, and she was looking at our sign, looking at the traffic, looking at the sign, looking at the traffic. And she told one of the ladies in our church, please take that verse off the sign. You know? <laughs> How much complaining do we do? About everything. Food wasn't hot enough. I mean, you can go through the list. What's the enemy that we have not trusted the Lord to defeat in our lives? What's the Nephilim? What's the Hivite? What's the Jebusite? What is it that's in our lives that we haven't trusted the Lord to defeat? And we use it as an excuse. Oh, it's too much for me. I can't do this. No kidding. That's the point. Only God can. Men, some of you are wrapped up into pornography, absolutely unequivocally, no doubt. I don't know who, but I know statistically there's no question that that is pervasive, and it's sad. Do you trust the Lord to defeat that enemy in your life? Or are you using excuses? I can't do this. I'm just sucked into it. It's just my lifestyle, whatever. Your heart's being prepared to worship the Lord, to give him the glory that he deserves, recognizing that he can. That's the issue. We look at our country, and all I hear is murmuring and complaining about our country. Folks, this is a tremendous moment for us as believers to stand up, walk with God, be children of light, and declare the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. Let's do that. Amen? All right, I'll settle down. I need John's soapbox. (laughs) We're living in a day, folks, where we need to put our faith in Christ more than ever. I'm not talking about foundationally believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about walking with him. I'm talking about walking in the midst of what he has for us, whatever the work may be, and not using as excuses our weaknesses. Because God is strong in spite of our weaknesses. Yes, we're weak. Amen. I can't do it. God never said I could. He can what? He always said he would. Praise the Lord. If we're not walking in the truth of that... We really got problems. Because if we think we can do it, we're going to be just like the children of Israel. When they were told they're going to wander for 40 years, what did they do? Oh, we're so sorry. We don't want to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. We're going to go up and attack the Canaanites. And they got slaughtered. Why? Because Moses didn't go with them and the ark 
did not go with them, signifying that God did not go with them. They were trying to do something right, but they were trying to do it in their own strength. We need the Lord. We need to be worshipers from the heart that are willing to walk by faith. So in the midst of whatever it is that God calls us to, we've learned to take a step when the Lord takes us, tells us to take a step, to stay still when the Lord tells us to stay still. And we need to stop using the size of the problems as an excuse for what we say we can't do. Because we recognize God can. God can. God can. He's able. Are we willing to walk with him in that? Men, are we willing to walk with him in that? Ladies, are we willing to trust the Lord in it? Are we willing to walk by faith, knowing that Christ lives in us to do through us what we could never do on our own. And whatever the work may be, it's going to be awesome to watch what God does with it. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.